Hello and welcome back. It's another week, which means it's another episode from our very own Bounce Men. I'm pleased to have you with us this week as we are joined by brother Brad Golson. Brad currently works for a management and operational consulting firm in Washington, D.C., Conceo Consulting Group. And in his role, he manages a portfolio of consulting projects totaling approximately $5 million annually, ranging from process improvement, redesign, and organizational change management. Prior to this role, Brad spent nine years in various senior advisor roles for top management executives in the U.S. government, first at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, and then at the U.S. General Services Administration. And during this time, Brad also served on the response team to the largest known cyber attack on the United States government, impacting 22.5 million American citizens. In preparation for the 2016 election, Brad served as the advisor to stand up the Center for Presidential Transition, a nonpartisan effort that provides guidance and resources to the transition teams of the presidential candidates. In addition to his successful full-time career, Brother Brad has spent a decade as a fitness professional, coaching and training at various gyms in the Washington, D.C. area. He's currently a coach at SoulCycle, a national indoor cycling company. And Brad himself is an athlete as he has completed not one, but two Ironman triathlons. Brad grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and he's a proud graduate of LSU. In addition to serving as a chapter advisor and a member of the AVC at DC Delta, Brad facilitates at Carlson Leadership Academy annually, serves as a faculty member at Ruck, and he serves as the chair for the Quest to Greece Steering Committee. This brother has a plethora of knowledge and stories that I'm sure you all will enjoy. So that being said, let's dive right in. All right, brothers, welcome back to another episode of Our Very Own Balanced Men. I'm pumped with the guests that we have today. We have none other than Brother Brad Golson. Brad, thanks for being on the podcast. Glad to be here. So we have to go back to where it all began, and I'm curious about the story behind this. So you, you step onto LSU's campus as a young man. What on earth was it that made you want to join a fraternity, let alone SIGAP? Ignorance. I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> uh, totally kidding. I mean, growing up in, in Baton Rouge in, the, in, in a college town, it, it was just what we did. You know, where I went to school, we, it was an all-boys school, and it was just it's what you did. You graduated from the high school I went to, and you you joined a fraternity. And in many regards, you were already groomed um, to be in a specific fraternity based on the men who were at that high school that you befriended. Um, And interesting enough, many of the guys that I uh, were friends with in in the grade above me, um, several of them joined together. Um, I had been involved with them uh, in student council and some of the other clubs on campus. And uh, that's where they were drawn to. And so, not knowing if I would actually join a fraternity. My father was an attorney. He was in a different one. Um, but he, it wasn't everything that was a part of my life growing up or pitched as something I should do, but rather just something my peers were doing. Um, and I said, 
I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't something that I set out to say, this is going to define my collegiate experience, or this is going to be a huge uh, part of my collegiate experience. Um, but here we are years later and it has been. So definitely an unexpected gift that came into my life. Wow. That's, that's interesting. Um, hearing how your father was a part of it and you've got so many peers and so it, you just kind of led your way into it. So I'm curious then, what was it throughout that SIGEP undergraduate experience that led to you, you know, catching SIGEP fever, if you will, um, and then going on to become, you know, a dedicated SIGEP volunteer? Was there like a, an impactful experience or was it just your undergraduate experience as a whole that led to you becoming such a dedicated volunteer? You know, I, I was fortunate enough to have a very um, rewarding undergraduate experience. And it's ironic to say because my undergraduate experience was sprinkled with um, a lot of hazing in the beginning and then um, some risk management issues and then a membership review. And, you know, when you hear those things, that doesn't really blend itself to the outcome being a rewarding fraternal experience as an undergraduate. However, the men that I went through that experience with and the men who I knew um, shared the same values as I shared and, and had a very similar vision as I had about what this place could be and should be, mm -hmm. uh, going through those tough times together, you know, just, I mean, we look at the world we're in right now and how we're all brought together by this unique thing that we share that we're experiencing. And, and in those years, as an undergraduate, you know, the, I can remember sitting in the chapter meeting, having those tough conversations, those arguments, and certain members fighting what we knew in our hearts was right, mm. um, and we having to stand our ground. I mean, I I remember my first experience as a sophomore on the executive board, and having a, a senior point me out and and just near threaten um, my membership in the chapter because of the decision I had made. And I look back and. Um, I've certainly grown, all of us have grown, but I learned a tremendous amount during my undergraduate experience um, about myself, about leadership, about dealing with uh, tough situations, having tough conversations. And I never realized then the impact that it would have on me down the, have on me later down the road um, in terms of having already developed these skills that when I went into the workforce, I realized that I had refined some of my um, abilities, my capabilities. And I had, I looked at my peers and I had already developed a self-awareness of how I would deal with a situation or an individual um, through my, my, my college experience. But I want to also say it wasn't that all the, the, those unfortunate incidents were not what fully defined it. I mean, the number of nights and afternoons with my fraternity brothers just sitting on our, we had a, we had a back patio, a back deck actually on the house, you know, uh, the barbecues we had, the, mm. the late night sitting, chatting, um, the football games with my, my chapter brothers, you know, but to this day, there are five of us that are extremely tight and uh, those bonds started then. And so it's through all of that, that I say, I will forever be indebted to what SIGEP has given me um, at this point in my life. Wow, that's fantastic. 
I, I'm curious then too, because I mean, SIGEP CEO, Brian Warren, I know that he experienced senseless hazing at the beginning of his SIGEP experience as well. And so I, I'm, I'm curious then, like what was it for you and that, that group of, of brothers in your recruitment class to flip that switch and want to create that culture change within your chapter? I mean, so often it's, it's, it's easy to slip into that. Well, you know, this happened to me. Um, so tradition and, and continue it. So what was it that led to you and your brothers taking on that, that leadership as underclassmen to want to create a, put an end to that really, um, to that perpetuated cycle uh, of hazing? One thing that SIGAP, my undergraduate experience at SIGAP taught me is that um, the value of any organization, so you want to say fraternity or the company you work for, the greatest asset that you have as an organization are your people. And SIGAP at LSU, LA Beta chapter, has always done an amazing job of recruiting dynamic young men who are, um, who are not only bright, but are aspirational. Um, and so I was surrounded by men who <laughs> we were, we, we knew in our guts, this was not what needed to happen. This was not what was supposed to happen. And uh, they also recruited men who didn't have that, that lens by which to look at their fraternity experience. Uh, and so there was a, a great divide. And so, uh, you know, being surrounded with other and by other individuals who, we knew this wasn't right. So it gave us, it, it gave us some strength and numbers, right? And mm-hmm. we were the minority for a large portion of it. Um, but it was like, we're going to do this together. Um, and the many nights we sat in the exact office trying to figure out how the heck we're going to address this issue, issue or they're not going to be excited when we say this, you know, so how are we going to communicate it? How are we going to uh, prime the pump, if you will, to, to get people on board before we have to say it in the chapter meeting. Um, and so going through that experience with these men who I shared this vision with, they, it brought us together in such a unique way. Um, mm. So I, that, that to me was something that kept us grounded. Plus, I mean, we are 19, 20 years old. We want to be fraternity men. We're hard headed. We're not going to give up. We're not going to quit. So damn it, we're going to keep fighting this until we get it right. So I think that had a little bit to do with it too. There's some pride in there. I love that. I could see that too, that the group of dedicated underclassmen meeting in one of the chapter rooms or maybe even on the back porch you described, describing, you know, by gosh, we're going to create this this different experience. I love that. So, I mean, it sounds like too, even from the very beginning, you were gaining so much leadership experience um, out of your SIGAP journey. But I, th- I feel like one of the pinnacle moments and experiences was, was navigating through the time after Hurricane Katrina. And um, for those listening to the podcast episode, if you haven't yet listened or watched to it yet, um, Brad was on one of the alumni spotlight videos and talked about leading through moments of crisis, and it's a must-watch. So hit that up after this episode. But Brad, I'm curious, like, take me through what was it like, uh, you know, as a student leader on campus, leading through, you know, that natural disaster of Hurricane Katrina. 
Sure. You know, I, I've often reflected and said that that leadership experience um, fundamentally changed the direction of my professional career and, and my life, really. Um, I had just finished my term as uh, a student body president at LSU um, and LA Beta SIGAP was now the student body vice president. And we knew, everyone in Louisiana knew that this was coming. We've dealt with hurricanes before. Um, didn't really understand the magnitude that it would ultimately be. Um, and so once things started to unfold and they started to evacuate more ones, uh, I caught wind through the grapevine that uh, LSU would soon be a major hub in recovery space and uh, a place where folks were evacuated out of New Orleans and brought. And it started with nursing homes. So all the nursing, major nursing homes were evacuated to our campus. Um, and then a few days later, when right before the levees broke, uh, they said they're evacuating all the hospitals and our indoor track facility and basketball stadium are going to become the new hospitals. And uh, this was like, in the midst of all this, I was getting little bits and pieces through the grapevine. And so I reached out to the president of our university and I said, hey, listen, I know you're going through a lot. And if there's any help I can provide, let me know. And I'll never forget. He said, uh, can you be in my office two o'clock tomorrow? And I would have never guessed that showing up at his office two o'clock the next day um, would again, change the trajectory of my career and ultimately my life. Uh, because over the next 14 days, it was rank didn't matter. Student leadership position didn't matter. It was if you are a functioning body and willing to make a decision and you are willing to work collaboratively with other people, come help. And because we are here to save some people's lives, we're here to take people in who are in hospitals on respirators and get them plugged into a respirator as soon as we can. Um, we are here to build a hospital first. I mean, it was kind of the first time in my life that um, mission that I recognized that mission and that drive to help others and make the world better was something that drove me uh, because over the next 14 days, we ran what at the time became the largest acute care center ever stood up after a natural disaster. And so thousands of patients came to those hospitals, those makeshift hospitals, and we as student leaders, alumni, volunteers in the university, teachers, faculty. I mean, we set up a whole system of, of a volunteering system, a coded system of what people felt comfortable dealing with. Um, we took the locker rooms that our athletes used, and those were used to bathe our hospital patients. Um, there was a daycare center set up using cots from the National Guard and donated toys. Um, and so this, this experience where all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're expected to think much bigger than yourself, anticipate some problems, creatively problem solve, be resourceful with what we had um, because people's lives and livelihood are at stake. Because at the end of the day, even if I've worked a 14, 15 hour day volunteering, I have a home to go to with a bed and these folks are sleeping on cots in an indoor basketball stadium and getting sponges and soap from travel size to go to an athletic locker room to shower. Like just your world's shaken up so much. Um, and I walked away from that experience knowing I wanted to do something that had a greater impact on the world. Um, I know I, I wanted to do something that was much bigger than me. Um, and it also taught me where some of my strength lies, where some of my strengths lie. 
uh, in that ability to uh, anticipate, uh, to plan, to organize in times of crisis, to stay calm, to have a level head. Um, again, all things that are timeless um, are ageless because for those listening who are not yet fully into their professional career, <laughs> what I've just described uh, becomes a very active component of being a manager and in leadership and in executive positions, no matter what fields you go into. So I'll, I know I've said a lot, so I'll stop there and see if you have any clarifying questions. Wow, though. What a, what a powerful story. Um, and I, I can't imagine that experience as I'm, as I'm picturing, you know, the, the hustle over a span of 14 days, like you said, putting this all together. You talk a lot about how, you know, this has this memory and this experience shaped a lot of your life and, and professional career. It gave you a sense of purpose in that. Um, how would you say um, it specifically impacted your professional career? Um, what did it what did it lead to? Um, take us through that. Sure. I, you know, I would say it impacted my career. One lesson learned, like a big lesson learned there outside of the skills that I talked about. I thought about that first, which is I remember um, being in the, the, the track stadium and knowing that a big meeting was going on between the university administration or administrators and some of the military that had been sent on site, National Guard and others to help secure the, 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 the space. And one of the administrators, not the president of the university, not the provost, not a dean, uh, but like an assistant to someone, I remember said during that meeting, because there was an order given and a direction given, and this individual said, I'm going to need you to stand down on that. This is my university, and no one's dying on this campus because of XYZ policy. Um, and to experience that, someone who is not a known person on campus, she sits behind the scenes, but she had the strength to stand up for folks who she recognized were in jeopardy, their safety was in jeopardy. Um, and that will forever stick with me because of the strength it had to, she had to embody to stand up against her, stand up and speak uh, in front of her boss to a military official to say that is the wrong call. Um, and it taught me this lesson of, of respect authority and respect a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we are human beings. And that's what we must defend mm. and we must stand for and fight for each other as human beings first. Forget policy, forget regulation. We are talking about individuals that could just have easily be, been you or me that lost their home or was happened to be in the hospital for whatever reason. And now we're laying on a cot in, in a, what was an indoor track stadium. And so that is a lesson that I will forever take is, is, I lead, I manage, I guide people. I don't need manage, guide organizations, but these are people. And if I start with that fundamental idea and governing principle, the way I go about things and the decision I make, the decisions I make are, have a different lens by which I make them. So that's, that's one powerful moment that came from that experience. Um, and then, 
just where that went from there. You know, that experience obviously brought me much closer to the president of the university who, um, after that experience, really invested in me as a mentor. Um, and he was very um, proactive with reaching out to me and saying, I want to help you figure out what you want to do and where you want to go next. And that ultimately led me to uh, do some work in Washington, D.C., where he was a very active component with getting me, um, helping guide me in the right direction and helping me get connected to the right people so that I can figure out where I best fit in right out of college. And, um, and so just <laughs> the simple fact, as I said, changed the trajectory of my life. Of I thought I was going to stay in Baton Rouge um, after graduation. And three weeks before graduation, I got an offer from a, a, a company in D.C. And wow. Five weeks later, I, I'm a resident of the District of Columbia. And so it truly changed my geographic location, um, being a part of that experience because it opened up a relationship. Um, all to say, you never know who you're going to meet and you never know who's watching. And so if you if you put your best foot forward, you never know where there's a door that's going to be open that's going to change the trajectory of your life. Dang. So many good points throughout there. And it, it's fa- it's a fascinating chain of events too. Just the the one small thing that led to another that led to another and then completely changing the you know direction of your life. I love it. And so so then as you, you shared, you go on to, to work for the Department of Homeland Security, um, even eventually serving as a senior advisor for the, the presidential transition. And so I'm curious, what would you say was the most challenging and what was the most rewarding part then of working in the public sector for you personally? You know, working at, working at Homeland Security, working at the Center for Presidential Transition, um, being in the public sector um, allowed me to exercise that desire that I just talked about to, to give back to something bigger. And it comes with a set of challenges because you're a part of something very big. The, the largest employer in our country, which is that of American citizens is the United States government. And so um, it is a huge system, a huge set of organizations that have um, a wide scope of responsibility. And so there is a bit of bureaucracy there. Um, but if you look past that and, and, looking what I, what I was doing, whether again at Homeland, um, the center for presidential transition, it was very much, um, connected to impact that I could see. And that often was looking at people's safety or just generally, uh, how your taxpayer dollars are being spent or not spent. Um, mm. and so it's, it's a cool thing to, to come out of a meeting and say, because we fought through that issue for an hour, X, Y, Z is going to happen or not happen. Um, and it's going to directly impact the American citizens. Um, and so it's a, it's a really cool experience, you know, and, and since you're providing this platform, um, I'll also offer up that I've now worked in the, the private sector and the nonprofit sector and in the public sector and the federal sector. And I will say some of the most dedicated and hardworking people I have worked with thus far in my career were individuals who worked for the United States government. And, uh, you know, I think every company and every profession has some set of folks that they can deem as, 
you know, they don't do much, they don't do anything. And sure, in the government that exists and there's all of these stereotypes, but I can honestly say that some of the most hardworking, intelligent, and dedicated people to their careers that I've ever worked with were individuals that I worked with in the United States government. Um, and so Scooty is a platform to clear up any misconceptions that are out there uh, because if anyone out there is can, ever considers or thinks about going into federal service, um, some of the most informative years of my career came during my time in the government. So That's awesome. I can't even imagine some of the experiences there as well. And even, even with this, you know, amazingly successful professional career that you've had, uh, you still continued to dedicate your, your time and talents uh, to the fraternity. And so we discussed earlier, like what got you interested in, in volunteering, but what would you say, Brad, um, has kept you as a volunteer for all of these years? And in addition to that, like, what would you say has been the most satisfying um, aspect of volunteering with SIGAP thus far? You know, a little bit ago, I talked about a fundamental governing leadership principle that I work under is we lead people, we don't lead organizations. Um, And the relationships, the friendships, the brotherhood that I've experienced. So, um, Early on, you know, when I first became a volunteer, I was working at uh, the Department of Homeland Security, which is conveniently located across the street from American University. And I saw in the SIGAP Journal one year, one one month when it came out that American University had just given its charter to DC Delta, uh, um, the SIGAP chapter, a new chapter at American University. And so I literally went on the SIGAP website, looked up who the president was, and just pulled emailed them out of the blue and said, Hey, I'm a volunteer. I work across the street. If you guys need anything. And, you know, shortly thereafter, Christian replied and he said, yes, can we meet? And, uh, if any, if anyone listening has been a part of that, a starting chapter that is either in its, you know, you've just got your charter or you're working towards your charter. You know, there's so many questions. There's, there's no, there's no precedent for a lot of things. And so, they were looking to hear from someone who has been through a chapter that's operated and operated well. So um, some of those men that I mentored in my early days uh, of volunteering in DC Delta were, I'm still very close to many of them. I've been to their weddings. I've met their partners. Um, There's one in particular, Anthony Miller, who I on a quarterly basis uh, have lunch with he considers me one of his career mentors. Um, and so it's that it's, it's, it's again, going back to what I talked about with, with the response to Hurricane Katrina, my personal gratification that I get, um, to give back, to give, to make an impact. And even sometimes it's just sitting down with a guy and listening. That's all he needs right now. Um, that gives me a sense of purpose. Um, and so you blow that out, you know, that was, that evolved into volunteering and to facilitate CLA, uh, Carlson, excuse me. Um, and from there, it parlayed into being invited to be a rug facilitator. Um, and again, the men that I met and worked with, um, and when I went, when I got to Ruck, and then when I went on Greet the Quest to Greece as a mentor, that's when my network and SIGAP at the alumni ranks really started to grow. And some amazing men that I met other volunteers. So, 
my rider die at Ruck, Daniel McVeigh, um, down in Dallas, Texas. Um, it is that friendship that kept me coming back. You know, we always said these the undergraduates. It is so um, it's so fulfilling to work with these men day in day out and to keep in touch with them. But during the when we're not together at that weekend ruck, it's Daniel and I who text, call, FaceTime to check in as friends, and we keep each other going throughout the year. Um, and so it's it's those experiences, it's the it's the people, it's the friendships um, that I've developed that say this is a place where I can develop some quality friendships uh, because it's that's not always the case. You know, you move to a place like DC, it's a very transient town. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's trying to get ahead. You never really know what someone's motive is. And I go to a place like Rock, or I go to a place like Carlson, or I go to a conclave, or I go to just to an ABC meeting. No one's no one's there to try to get ahead. Everyone's there to try to improve the lives of the undergraduates, improve the name of SIGAP and the experience of those involved. And so it's genuine, it's authentic, it's real, and it's refreshing. So that's why I stay involved. And, and you mentioned, too, some of the mentees that you've had. And I know that you've become such a powerful mentor figure to many fortunate SIGEP undergrads. So tell me, what would you say is your, your go-to advice for that ambitious and well-rounded, balanced brother uh, that's a senior and is, is going out to begin their career as a young professional? They sit down with you to to connect over coffee or, or a meal. And they say, Brad, what, what advice do you have for a successful career out of the gate? What's your go-to advice? Uh, the, I'll just go from an angle of the advice I wish someone told me mm-hmm. was you're good, but you're not that good. Uh, and that I, <laughs> I'm reminded of that still to this day that uh, I'm still might be good, but I'm not that good. And I say that in, in jest, but I also say it that probably a lot of the men that are listening to this podcast are those men who are who have been wildly successful in their undergraduate experience. Um, but it's likely that those same people are going to aspire to be a part of something bigger. You know, they're going to want to go be competitive in the professional workspace, that they're not going to settle just to be the whole employee, but rather they're going to want to grow on the corporate ladder or grow in the organizational ladder. <clears throat> and there's an element of humbleness that you have to have that be confident in your abilities. Uh, because I can say I hated my first year out of undergrad um, in the professional sense, because I was now going toe to toe with people in DC that had an equal resume as me. And in some cases had a better resume than me. And <clears throat> it was very humbling. Um, and I, in my early career was um, in many cases deterred by that. I was, I was very much intimidated by that mm-hmm. because, you know, as an undergraduate, when you excel in the Greek community and you're, you're chapter president or you're an IFC or you're a Greek man of the year or you're, you know, in student government and elected official on campus, you're the BM, uh, what is it, big man on campus. Um, it's, you get into the workforce, especially if you leave the geographic city that you were to college in, and you kind of have to start over a little bit. And that's humbling. So I would say, first off, you're good, know you're good, 
but also know you're not that good um, and that there's a lot left to learn. Um, and something that I didn't know early on, but I have come to know or have come to realize is that <clears throat> to some extent, you own your destiny. You own the path that you go on um, and that you do have control over it. Don't wait on anyone to open a door. Don't wait for anyone to give you your perfect job. You have to go out and create it. You've got to go mm. out and get it. Um, no, something someone once told me, no, one ever, no one's ever going to look out for the best interest of you like you will. Um, no one's going to open up a door for you like you could potentially open. You can have open um, by working hard. You know, and so there's don't wait around i guess is, is, is i guess the takeaway don't wait around and wait for someone else to do something for you wow 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 such such valuable wisdom too dang and all throughout the episode as well there's been um, absolutely out of this world advice and tidbits but i would be remiss to have uh, a guest like you, and to not try to squeeze every ounce uh, of wisdom and insight out of you that we can. Uh, so that being said, we'll have to head into the lightning round, our chance to hit the fast-hitting and meaningful questions uh, to try to squeeze as much out of our guests as we can. That being said, are you ready for the lightning round, Brad? Sure. All right. At first, a favorite book of yours that has been most impactful on your life? Uh, cliche as it is, uh, Dale Carnegie, Winning Friends and Influencing People. If you have not read it, it should be fundamental to your everyday work and interaction with other people. Awesome. Best advice that you have ever received? That's a loaded one. Um, I'll say this. The best advice I've gotten lately that I've taken to heart and has made a drastic impact on me is create the life you want. Mm. Again, it goes with the other people, but you've got to be aggressive to create the life you want for yourself. Nice. This one might be another loaded question and tough, uh, but the most impactful SIGET mentor that you've had throughout your life and the lesson that you learned from them? Uh, I would say a mentor in the term of a friend, one of my closest friends who has probably taught me the most. Um, to, I'm going to say a man from Elevator named Chris Hester, who is we are like yin and yang. We're totally opposite. Uh, he's a lawyer. He thinks in a different way and he constantly has challenged my thoughts. Uh, but no matter what I choose, he has had my back. And when I have fallen by the wayside, he has stood me up. Same thing with brother Patrick Downs, who, um, United States army, um, polar opposite, but despite differences in fundamentally who we are, um, he has, given 110% um, in some of my lowest moments of life. He has been there to lift me up, carry me. Um, and his friendship alone has just fundamentally um, helped get me to where I am today. 
say, say that you have the hypothetical billboard and you can put any message on it and for the entire world to see it, what message are you putting on that billboard and why? The message would have would would no doubt have to do with would sorry the, the the billboard in some way shape or form would communicate and be a reminder that we are all human that we are all people and that we were given what we got and I should not judge hate. Put down when certain. We're gonna back up. We're gonna edit this, Caleb. God, no worries. Uh, I got you. The billboard that I would put up would communicate in some way, shape, or form uh, the fact that we're all human beings. That we all mess up. That nobody is perfect. That we're all different that we were all given at birth and throughout our lives things that we could not control uh, things that we cannot change about ourselves and for that reason there's this element of empathy and understanding and acceptance that should be prevalent no matter where you are who you are how old you are what part of the country what part of the world we are all human and as much as we want to admit it or not, we go through similar crap throughout our lives. And, uh, yeah. Mm. Powerful. <laughs> the last one is, is a fun one and honestly one of my favorite ones to ask. The the walkout song. Say that um, you're, I, I want to say starting for LSU and you're walking out into the stadium. But for this case, I'll say, you're walking into that 6 a.m. Soul Cycle section. Uh, what is your What is your swagger song as, as you're as you're strutting out to start the game or or start the session? I can tell you it's 6 a.m., which is my normal teaching time. Uh, everyone would prefer silence and no music at all. However, that's not how my classes work. Um, the easy one, the the easy go to, because uh, I think it's. It's prevalent. It, it just it speaks to where I'm from. It is obviously calling Baton Rouge. That's an easy one, though. That's like a that's a softball. Um, if I want to get creative, though, hmm. oh my goodness! See, this is one that you didn't tell me in advance. Yeah. That's why you like it? Yeah, I do. <laughs> goodness gracious! What did Irby say? Uh, I was gonna say that Seth said the call of Baton Rouge as well, so I uh, okay. I was I thought that was pretty funny. That's fair. I mean, that's like that's like the go-to for any one of. I mean, especially when you don't live there anymore. I should probably get more points because I don't live there anymore, so I have a reason to say it. If you're in Baton Rouge and you're walking out and they play call of Baton Rouge, it's kind of like that's all you got. But anyway. Uh, uh, I want to do one. I want to do a better one. Let me think. If I want to like my swagger song, God, I, the things that come to mind, probably no one on this podcast from the listen up, listen are gonna know people they're with. But um, yeah, 
recognizing that most people on this listening to this podcast will not know who this is, you need to go listen to Mark Broussard from Karen Co, Louisiana. Uh, and he's got a song named Home. And just when you listen to it, you're going to understand that how you can just walk out and just feel like a badass walking to, out to this song. So he did that. And when his, when his iTunes downloads go up, hopefully I'll get a cut of it. But until then, that's <laughs> I love it. I've never heard of the guy, but I will have to give it a listen. But I, I find it comical. Yes, our two guests so far on the podcast from LSU have both said Colleen Baton Rouge for their, their swagger song. So, dedication. That's right. It's a great place. Nice. I'm sorry about it. I love it. Well, so much has been covered through this podcast episode, whether it is discussing a truly remarkable undergraduate experience and lessons learned from changing the culture of a chapter, leading a campus in the face of a natural disaster, and lessons learned through a pretty darn successful career. I can't thank you enough, Brad, for taking the time to be on the podcast and share even more of your time and talents with the brothers of Sigma Phi Epsilon. Thank you. Uh, truly my pleasure. And thank you for doing this. Thank you for uh, exposing the men to uh, various alumni who have different perspectives and different views on the world and life, um, because that's definitely something that uh, is going to be very valuable to these men as they go into the world is to understand that people are different, have different views, and to be at least uh, aware of it is, is getting you halfway there. So thank you, Caleb, for what you're doing here. All right, brothers, that wraps up this week's episode of our very own Balanced Men. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode and the stories that Brad had to share. If you got something out of this episode, my ask is always the same. Please feel free to share it to any brothers uh, that you think would enjoy the podcast or would find something meaningful out of it. Until next time, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on our very own Balanced Men.